Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's not just good for programming. It's also great for kids doing homework. It's great for reading, great for writing, anything that requires your concentration. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments at mtcb.pwop.com. That's mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1157, with guest Troy Hunt. Recorded Wednesday, June 17th, 2015. Hey, guess what? We're at NDC. Hooray! In 2015, staring at a giant green stage. Yep. This is, as we said many times before when we come here, this is like a rock and roll arena. It is, yeah, literally. It's a Telnor arena, and uh, yeah. they really lay it out neatly uh, with, the, with the hanging stages all around for all of the different sessions. Yeah. Uh, and we, Bruce Schneider just finished his keynote, and he was awesome. He was awesome. And uh, Troy was standing in the front row. We'll talk to Troy, about, uh, Troy Hunt in a minute. This was a really great uh, keynote, probably a good place to start the conversation. But first, let's roll the music for Better Know a Framework. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? So one day I'm perusing my Facebook feed and I see Steve Smith, but I don't see all of Steve Smith. Oh. I see Steve Smith's head on an iPad on a stick on wheels. <laughs> Love it. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> think, just think, there's the visual for you. Yeah. So he was using one of these things from Double Robotics. If you go to doublerobotics.com, it's, uh, I think it gets set up for about $3,500, something like that. Okay. But it's a remote U. It's like a remote presence <laughs> device? Yeah. yeah, a remote presence device, exactly. Okay. So he was using it uh, at Falafel Software, where he works, but commuting, right? Right, because he's in Ohio, and Falafel Software's in California. Right. So it was running around and, and just badgering everybody at Falafel. And, but, you know, there's, if you go to this website, it's really cool. There's uh, pictures of it at a meeting, you know, around a table, a conference table. And uh, I just, it's kind of neat, kind of creepy. Yeah. And also, if used correctly, could be very effective, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, Scott Hanselman, I think, was talking about stuff like this because he's got the same issue, right? He's down in Portland and right. he needs to be in Redmond a lot and you don't, you don't want to do that drive all the time. So how do you be remotely visible? You can drive this from an iPad or an iPhone back home or whatever. You know, you get to see what it sees and you get to drive it around. So I just think about how weird it would be to be sitting at your desk and all of a sudden in you Steve hear Smith. Steve Smith, but <laughs> you look left and there's this disembodied head. On an iPad, on a stick, on wheels. Uh, <laughs> he's okay. like, hey, you got a paperclip? You know? So I what think does we he should say? each have one at our respective homes. That's actually pretty interesting. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? Yeah. Well, okay. There you go. So I've got 3500 bucks to burn. Yeah, if an alert listener wants to send us a couple, we'll give you a lot of PR. How's that? <laughs> 
<laughs> Love it. That's what I got today, Richard. DoubleRobotics.com. Who's cool talking find. to us, my friend? Grabbed a comment off of show 1109, the show we did with one Troy Hunt, where we talked about secure account management. And uh, I think we spent a long time talking about passwords because there's a ton of conversation on that show about passwords. And uh, Troy's all over it. When you say conversation, the comments. Yeah, the comments back and forth. Lots of of folks talking about it. Uh, But this last comment I thought you'd really appreciate. It's from Mike. And Mike says, uh, uh, hey, guys, one of my developers turned me on to the show last year, and I've been listening since. I'm a security guy with a heavy infrastructure background. And being in the startup space, I find myself opening Visual Studio as much as my own security scanning tools. Mm. I even write a bit of code now, too. So I was listening to the above show, and I heard that you're talking about Wi-Fi hacking. And yes, even WPA, WPA2 can be cracked relatively easily, depending on the passphrase used. That's right. It's all about the rainbow tables, isn't it? If you're ever interested in seeing how it can be done, we cover these topics at our hackerspace in Meriden, Connecticut. That's at nessit.org. We also make things with Arduino, Raspberry Pi, 3D printing, and some woodworking. If you're ever in the area, come and check it out. Well, I definitely will. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you know, I don't know that we really dove into this whole aspect of how do you break even the good encryption on Wi-Fi, but it's the rainbow table approach, right? It's just, they've just pre-computed all the common keys. If you haven't changed your SSIDs and your password is six ones, yeah, no problem. We'll take that out for you. Yeah. And don't use two words with the zeros replacing the yeah, O's. no leads, please. <laughs> the hackers don't know that. <laughs> Keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. I just gave away my hand. Oh, you oh, ruined man. everything. Uh, now we've got to change our passwords and the dog's name. Uh. <laughs> Mike, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or uh, via any of the social media sites. We post on Facebook and Google every time we put up a show. We'd love to see a comment there as well. And that brings us to our guest, Troy Hunt. Let me introduce him formally. Troy is a Pluralsight author, Microsoft MVP, and world-renowned internet security specialist. He spends his time teaching developers how to break into their own systems before helping to piece them back together to be secure against today's online threats. He's also the creator of Have I Been... Is that owned or pwned? <laughs> pwned. What, what would you like? I'll go with pwned. But yeah, pwned? Yeah. Is that the real word? P-W-N-E-D? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that, is, that is what the kids say. All right, pwned. So I'm, I'm, thanks for schooling me, man. (laughs) I feel older already. The free online service for breach monitoring and notifications. Troy regularly blogs at troyhunt.com from his home in Australia. And welcome back, Troy. Yeah, good day. Thanks, guys. All right. I, you know, I am not going to be afraid today. (laughs) Yet. 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 I always am, aren't I? And that's how I always start these conversations. We'll work on that. It wouldn't be a show if we didn't scare some people. That's (sighs) true. I thought Bruce did such a good job. Just walking us down the path of this, the, the reality of surveillance culture. And Bruce Shiner, you're talking about. Yeah. He did the keynote just minutes yeah. ago. Yeah, it's kind of depressing, isn't it? <laughs> he did I, a very I do good like the idea that. that he separated this concept of there is military surveillance against foreign nations, and then there is law enforcement surveillance going on within countries. And that gives you very clear rules that you could be applying. Law enforcement needs to serve its populace more. Right? And that ubiquitous surveillance at a law enforcement level is inappropriate and unnecessary. That yeah. everybody using encryption doesn't mean you can't surveil. It means you must surveil with intent. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's it because none of us have a problem with 
the, the sort of classic surveillance. So Bruce was talking about, uh, you know, following, following someone's car and their movements or something. And, I mean, if you do that, you, you've got some serious intent, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got reasonable suspicion about someone mm-hmm. because you, you simply cannot follow Just every car in, in the physical world. You, right. you can do it metaphorically, which is right. what he's saying is, is the mass collection of data. But uh, I, I don't think any of us have a problem with that sort of stuff. I don't have a problem with, uh, you know, we saw things about, okay, the NSA is intercepting some machines in the post when you buy a Dell or something and right. installing their things on it. And I'm cool with that because that takes a degree of effort where they're not going to do it randomly across the whole populace. Yeah. They have to have cause to spend money to do that kind of surveillance. Do you think people are, are sort of numb to this or comfortable with the idea and uh, because they feel, well, it's happening to everybody, so we're all in the same boat and, you know, it's sort of the, the proverbial frog in the pot of cold water being turned up, the, the heat being turned up? Or, or do you think that, uh, is there, are there other reasons why we're all just not freaking out? Yeah, I think we are numb to it. So uh, there was a really, really good piece by uh, John Oliver, the, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> so the US brilliant. talk show guy. Yeah. So he, he goes to, to Russia to interview Snowden. Yeah. And before he goes, he talks to a bunch of, of people on the streets in the US and, and sort of gauges their level of concern right. about, uh, about monitoring. And no one really cares. Yeah. So he talks to Snowden and he said, look, I think the way we've got to do this is, is we've got to put it in the context of uh, can they see your dick pics? Yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> if they can see that, you know, then they're concerned. So he goes through all the different uh, processes that the NSA are running, all the different programs, and says, you know, X key score, can they see them? Yes, okay. And then he goes back and he talks to the people, and there's, all, you know, like there's these old ladies say, well, I, I don't want the NSA to see my husband's penis. <laughs> and, you know, then it's in a context that people care about. And it's, it's I love almost, Snowden's reaction to that. When he explained it to it Snowden, he actually hilarious. saw him light up like, yeah. why didn't I think of this? <laughs> right, right. It's such a great way to set it. And he also asked him also, he says, okay, so my password is basically my kid's name with a zero for a no. You know, is that okay? <laughs> so, no. no, that's not okay. <laughs> All right, what if it's like three names together and uh, no, no, no. no. Uh. He's like, and, and he said, you, you need to have a passphrase that is something you'll remember that uh, maybe has some proper nouns in it, uh, some capitalization, but a phrase. Uh, how much harder is it to, for a phrase to be hacked? Is it impossible? Or, Well, I mean, we never talk in absolutes in terms of impossibility. We just talk in, in law of diminishing returns. So, you, you know, a lot of it's going to come down to if, if, if you pick a phrase from Shakespeare or something fairly well known, yeah. you know, I, I wouldn't have a lot of confidence in that insofar as that's the sort of thing that a, that a determined adversary is, is going to have in their list of, of you know, tested passwords. Sure. A lot of the time that they are running through dictionary style attacks. But if you're a poet, you're golden, right? <laughs> if you can make, you can up, make your up your, own, your phrase. own phrase. Yeah, and then substitute your O's for your zeros. And yeah. Look, I, I am still very, um, very enamored with passwords managers i love the idea of generating things that are as long as a phrase but are totally random and for all reasonable purposes uh uncrackable and i'd say reasonable insofar as i'm thinking of the xkcd comic with the bits of entropy yeah so the battery horse staple blah 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 one that they you got to explain that now okay so xkcd did a comic and said um and basically said look a, a suitable sort of uh passphrase would be something like uh, what was it battery horse staple yep. something 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 well he starts with the sort of classic a character with a uh, with different case numbers and and uh, and symbols but shows look that's 28 bits of entropy at a thousand guesses a second we'll crack it in a couple of days it's not yeah. a big deal now he, here's your challenge so if, if you want to go down the passphrase route 
try doing that for all your accounts and remembering which passphrase you've used on yeah. which one. Because right. yeah. you've got to be unique, right? Yeah. Because sooner or later, you're going to use a passphrase on a website which is storing your password in plain text. Sooner and it still happens, it's going to be compromised. And Sooner then the whole entropy laws and everything just go out the window because yeah. they're in plain text. And then someone's going to go, which of your other websites did you use the same passphrase yeah, yeah. on? Right. So you've got to have your passphrases unique so that the, the challenge of a single passphrase is not the problem. The challenge of having unique passphrases across all of your assets is the problem. So I've heard a very clever uh, way to do this, which uses the website itself and things about the website um, to, to plug into a formula to generate a passphrase. And so if you know the formula, then you can sort of figure out what the passphrase is. But it requires thought. It's not anything that a computer could deduce. The, you know, the other thing it requires is it requires the website to let you do it. Yeah. Because there are a lot of websites that say, your password cannot be longer than 12 characters. Right. Microsoft yeah, right. says your password cannot be longer than 16 characters. Yep. You go to your bank or to your airline and they probably say your password cannot be any characters that aren't 0 through 9. Yeah. Yep. You know, so you, you try and make a passphrase that has four digits. Yep. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's painful. So th th this is the problem. It's, it's just such an inconsistency across the industry. Right. In fact, this is one of the things in my talk today where you look at the craziness of, you know, one website will say, uh, you know, you, you've got to have this, you know, ridiculously liberal password rule with a really low set of, of um, you know, maximum lengths and all this sort of thing. And then you go somewhere else and here's a bank. In fact, I retweeted a couple of banks just this week saying, uh, well, look, special characters you don't need because we've got other protections. So, you know, we're telling everyone, use special characters, use, you know, exclamation marks and symbols and everything else. And then a freaking bank says, well, no, it's a crazy inconsistent world. So here's a system that I was talking to you at breakfast the other day about this and getting your opinion. And I think it's pretty good. So I like the idea of doing away with passwords altogether and just using email and text uh, numbers and email addresses to authenticate. And so here's what you do. You have a website, and I have a, actually have a website that does this. You come in, if you want to use the website and, and you know create your identity from your email address. Let's say uh, before you can do anything, uh, the, path, the the website generates a GUID, which is a strong you know strong name for lack of a better word, and it uh, writes that into a table with your uh, that has two fields: your email address and the GUID that it just created. Then it sends you a URL to that email address with the GUID tacked onto the end of the URL. Your, then it brings you, you click on that, it brings you to another page that reads uh, and compares that from the one that's in the database. If it matches, boom, you're, it erases it from the database. You can no longer use that GUID and you're in for, a, for the length of the session. You said, yes, that's, that's pretty good, but... Um, it would be even better if at the same time you, sent, you put in your email address, you put in your phone number, your text number, and then uh, sent a code to the text, sent the email to the email. And so now you not only have to go there, but you have to enter in the code that you got from the... So basically two-factor authentication without a password. But you have to go through that every time you want to log in to the page. That's the downside. The upside is it's more secure than storing passwords.
Yeah, so, you know, when we're talking about this, I said this this is basically seems like a password reset process on, on every login insofar right. as you go to the website, uh, you, you enter some information, you get an email, and that gives you the ability to, to log back in. Right. Uh, and, of course, there are defenses or, or rather ways of strengthening that in terms of it's a time-limited nonce, so you've right. got to action it within a certain period. You yep. could have two-factor or two-step authentication as a result of that. Yep. Um, just thinking about it, uh, New Relic on iOS, every time I open up the new Relic app, it says, uh, I'm going to send you an email, and yep. then you click the link in the email, and it's going to open it up. Right. But they also have fairly long-running sessions too so it's not like you're doing that every single day right. Right. you know i haven't looked at it for a month and now mm -hmm. i need to repeat the process right so look at you know it's, it's just a different set of security risks so you don't have to have the password which is um which means you don't have the responsibility of looking after it right in fact i, I did this workshop the last couple of days one of the discussions we had was we were talking about the strength of uh, password hashing and someone said look we've basically just got md5 it's salted but it's md5 right so well you know that's that's kind of Crap, <laughs> that's kind, kind of, of useless. Pointless, right? um, yeah, right. But he said, oh, you know, we don't care too much about the, the, the sensitivity of the data on our site. And I was saying, yeah, but what you've got to be conscious of is the people creating accounts on your site are using the same passwords there as they're using on their Twitter and their email and somewhere else. So yeah. indirectly, you are responsible for the security of their other assets. Right. And I think a lot of the time we forget that burden of responsibility. And, and okay, people shouldn't be reusing their passwords, but they do. And the reality of it is, is that you're going to impact their security profile on other sites. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point about it. And so... you. It's, if you're able to put the function in to do MD5 hashing, you're able to put the function in to do a better hashing algorithm. That's true. Now, now the challenge is you have already committed down the MD5 path and all of your things are hashed with MD5 and you right. can't unhash them. No. So if you now want to use a stronger hashing algorithm, if you want to go to like a, an adaptive algorithm like bcrypt that increases the workload and is slower to actually compute the hash, therefore slow to crack, it really one of the only things you can do is go, well, we're just going to take all our salted MD5 hashes and then we're going to rehash them with bcrypt. And then forever and a day, when right. someone logs in, you've got to hash it with MD5, with the salt, and then you've got to hash, so, you know, so, hash it with bcrypt. So Richard and I were talking at lunch the other day, and I, you know, it's funny, uh, it's, it all comes down to meals with us, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's always about the food. A, and he said something really interesting. You don't want to be the guy that at first advocates against using passwords, Right. And, and it's just, it actually makes a lot of sense to me to do away with passwords altogether for all of these reasons that you're talking about. And, and just go to these two-factor authentication things to log in instead of uh, requiring me to save and keep my password secure and jeopardizing other websites and things. However, people are more comfortable if they have passwords. And so why wouldn't you, in a two-factor authentication process... Use a password anyway, even though it's less important and by itself doesn't get you in, doesn't get you access. I think we need to reduce friction. And, you know, there are multiple ways of doing that. So I really like, uh, I really like the implementation on iOS with Touch ID. Yep. So I like the fact that using something like 1Password in Safari, I go to the website I want to log into, I click the little arrow button that shows 1Password, I put my thumb on the little Touch ID sensor, and I'm logged in. Now, to me, that's, that's a great implementation. And, and yes, you could do the sort of James Bond thing of creating like a jello mold of my thumb and putting it on there. <laughs> but know. also, those <laughs> things aren't as secure as we thought, though. There, there's false positives. It, it's easier for somebody else, especially if they're related to you, to... Uh, 
to, I'm less to worried treat about, those. Yeah, the, the people related. Like, honestly, if my kids could get through this, I'd actually be pretty impressed. <laughs> 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 but it's, it's yeah. just, it is a changing of the security profile. It doesn't necessarily mean it is more secure versus less secure. Right. It is a different set of risks and a different set of threats. And it has this massive upside, which is convenience. And, and I, I think we, we do sometimes sacrifice convenience for the sake of security. We often sacrifice it. Sure. And you just got to be careful where that so balance is. So different than having is. to have a key to unlock your door. That's inconvenient. Mm. Yeah. But it's secure. It's, a, it's, a needed, it's an expected overhead. Yeah, right. Now it's should, also a confidence piece. This is true. Now, should you have the key to unlock the door and the alarm system inside? Right. Or some people would say yes, other people no. And, you know, there's a, there's a value sort of judgment decision to be made there. You know, I, my, my latest car detects my hand touching the door handle and then senses that I have the key in the pocket and unlocks the door automatically. Yeah, That's right. Nice. So yeah. I was doing errands with my mother. Yeah. And after the third stop, she's like, why aren't you locking your car? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I am locking my car, Mom. It just unlocks itself when we get near it, right? But it, it lowered her confidence yeah. because she didn't know there was this thing, magical thing going on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So are we moving towards a, a world where passwords become a thing of the past? So this discussion has been had for so many years. <laughs> um, I, I suspect we are, but I, I think the time frame is not what people would like it to be. You know, yeah. I, I just don't see us in, in say, five years not, ha- not still having a massive dependency on passwords. So maybe it's a little bit different, the dependency. So maybe yeah. it is we, we use more open ID or we use more external providers or we use more biometrics or we use other factors of authentication but mm-hmm. I can't see passwords disappearing for quite some time sure but don't they cause prop more problems though I mean like you said you you hack one password now all of your other places that uh, you know yeah. you access are well you, you know this and this you have the liability problem of people storing even if they're storing hashed passwords well this is an interesting discussion too so in, in my workshop yesterday I was saying to the guys okay so how do we defend against an attacker who has legitimate credentials for the user? Mm. Right. The $5 wrench issue. Well, yeah. the $5 wrench, so, you know, give me your password or I'm going to smack you over the head. Right. <laughs> That's your $5 <laughs> wrench uh, issue. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's that. But, you know, having said that, even that sort of risk, I am less worried about those Eastern European and Chinese hackers for that yeah. That attack vector. Right. You know how far away Australia is in China? They've got to really want my password if they're going to yeah. come there and hit me over the head with a the wrench. French. Yeah. <laughs> Hold that thought because uh, I need to tell you that this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify. Stackify fully integrates application performance management with error and log management in one platform. Capture performance issues as they happen without having to wait for them to reoccur. A cost-effective and lightweight agent provides you code-level insights. So try Stackify now for free and get your copy of the hilarious Developers Against Humanity card game once you activate your account. And use the link bit.ly slash netrocks, N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S, to get your free game. It's hilarious, by the way. I actually brought it with me. It's terrible. Those cards cards will make you an evil person. (laughs) Uh, This isn't, you know, cards against humanity. This is developers against humanity. humanity. But it's, yeah. I got some right here. There is some shocking things in there. Yeah, yeah. But not more shocking than the original game, right? Oh, no. The original game was shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like uh, forking two branches at once. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good card. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, uh, to get back to your conversation here, uh, are we moving towards a password-free society? You yeah. You don't think so. so? So, I mean, we were just, just touching on the fact that, um, 
Yeah, we, we've even got to be resilient now to the fact that attackers will sometimes have legitimate credentials. Yeah. yeah. You know, because it could be the $5 wrench scenario. Right. It could be social engineering disclosure. It, it could be uh, disclosed passwords via a breach. We keep saying all these breaches, right? Yep. Right, right. It could be any number of one of these things. So how are you going to defend against it? So I, I think on the show before, we've discussed things like uh, getting notifications to your email when there's unusual behavior. Sure, right. I'm, and, I'm, you know, here we are in Norway. How many emails have you gotten? None. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I've gotten a bunch. Really? Right? I, my uh, uh, Google complained and said, hey, you know, you're logged in via Norway. If that's you, that's fine. But Google knows where you are. Yeah, yeah. you'd think they wouldn't complain. <laughs> Don't right? they have it? This is a, the keynote this morning. They yeah. know where you are. My yeah. C, I, I checked my CDN service and, and they yeah. said, hey, just wanted you. They didn't stop anything. Like yeah. Everything worked fine. But I get this email saying, you know, you logged in from Norway. If this is you, don't worry about it. And if it's not yeah. you, you should click here. Facebook does that too. Yeah. That Facebook does it well. So now, admittedly, yeah. I have not logged back in. I have already been authenticated and I already have my authentication token on my, my devices. Right. And things have just worked. So, you know, they look, they're big enough and smart enough that they're going to have different levels of threats and risks and things that fire off alerts. Sure. And, and they may well be saying, look, if, if you're there with your iOS thing and you've already authenticated, then, you know, we're cool with that. Yeah. If you go to a new browser from a new location, then I, I suspect I would get challenged. And, and, and do those emails make you happy? I mean, they make me smile. Yeah, yeah. Right? No, it's good. like, oh, okay, you noticed. Good. Yeah, we want that. Yeah, I want that. And it's, I think that's a really interesting way to think about security. How do I provide security that actually makes the secured yeah. happy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You want that reassurance. And, you know, there, there's that. There's obviously sort of the two-factor or two-step sort of uh, process as well. Where you, you know, you have to say, look, you need more than just a, a password. Right. Uh, because the, something's weird here, I'm just going to ask you to take an extra step with me, would yeah. you? And that's fine. You know, it's Google. You know, part of this is not only I'm in Norway, but upgraded to the latest version of Win 10, right. which introduced the Spartan browser. And yeah, so as you're playing with all these things, the, the various sites are going, huh, that's new. Uh, let me send yeah. you a text message. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything's got to be set up from scratch, and it's a new image. And yeah, yeah. it's and fun. It's, it's all <laughs> talking through the whole thing. Um, I know we talked about this last time, and I can't believe it's still going on. Tell me we're still dealing with SQL injection. <laughs> <laughs> we're still dealing with SQL injection. Is it really true? Wow. Yeah, look, it is, it is still a thing. So um, SQL injection is, is still classified as the number one risk on the web by various publications. So, for example, OWASP, the Open Web Application Security Project. Right. right. They create the top 10 web application security risks every three years. They say this is the set of risks. In 2013, it was SQL injection. In 2010, it was SQL injection. Right. I'm guessing 2016 is still going to be SQL injection because we still <laughs> see a lot of it. And SQL <sighs> injection uh, pops up for a few different reasons. And, and number one is that it is so easy to find sites that have SQL injection risks. Right. The, the discoverability they're, they're is really discoverable. easy. So I, I do a demo, that, and in fact, I did this at, at NDC last year, where I go, hey, let's do a Google search, and we will Google search for uh, yeah. inurl.asp question right. mark ID equals. So let's find classic ASP websites with an ID parameter. Yeah. And then uh, just for kicks while I was here last time because there's something about Norway and Sweden, let's just find Swedish sites. Swedish yeah. sites with so classic ASP. Okay. .se. Yeah. And the very first result, you, you click on the link and it is, it is an, uh, an ID equals, so it's a query string parameter that gives right. you one record and you change the ID from like 19 to 19x and yeah. there's an internal database warning right you know so it, it is so right easy there. to find you are it's, now it's MySQL, yeah. blah 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 
um, you know, you are now probably one or two hops away from having all of so the data. So they're concatenating right. the query string together from the input text rather than, you know, using parameters, let's say, in... Uh, yeah, so someone yeah. has got a query somewhere. That they've, they've got a string in the app, which is something like select star from widget where ID equals. This is, this is a string, and then we're going to yeah. add to this string. So plus untrusted user data. Yeah. Now throw it at the database. Yeah. So by the time it hits the database, the database has got no idea what was the original query and what mm -hmm. was the data, and it's all just one great big string. And, right. and the database right. will do exactly what the app is asking sure. it to and do. So now your parameter is a semicolon drop table customer <laughs> semicolon. <laughs> oh, hypothetically. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I would do such a thing, but little but Bobby you, tables. The, yeah. You know, the scary thing about it as well is that, that what we've just discussed here is way more knowledge than what you need because you can go to that URL, you can copy it onto your clipboard, and you can go and use freely available software and just paste from the clipboard and say, get me all the data. Right. And job done. And, and here is all of your data. Yeah. So, so this is still a really big thing. I just pushed out a, a course on Pluralsight. It's ethical hacking, SQL injection, about five and a half hours hmm. of SQL injection. And, and one of the things that I show on there as well is that we are still building new stuff with SQL injection risks. Yeah. And, and a couple of examples that really come out, you know, sort of come to the front of my mind. So Drupal, Drupal 7 had a SQL injection risk in about October 2014. And they had this risk and they said, okay, here's a patch and, and it will fix it. But the, the really interesting thing was that they said, if you didn't install this patch within seven hours of it having been announced, consider yourself compromised. Mm. Wow. It's like seven hours. I go to bed and everything's cool and I get up and now all of my things you are You slept are for eight hours? You're hooped. That's it. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> you got to work on that. <laughs> and that, that was a kind of obscure risk uh, in, in Drupal and it was, it was sort of breaking out of a, 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 an array collection or something that gets passed. But it, you know, it, it was there. It is still a thing. And Drupal is a massively popular framework. There's another one I, I showed in, in my workshop this week as well where there's a, there's a blog post that, um, that I came across that's using ASP.NET written in 2015. Here is how you do a password reset. And in the blog post, in the example code, here is how to concatenate the string which is a SQL injection risk. It is take the email, so it was a, it was a web forms, go to yep. you know, uh, textbox.txt and just plug this plug into, into the, your into query, query string. And, you know, this stuff is still being written and other people come along and they read this and they copy and paste the code without knowing that there's a problem. Yeah. So there, there's a nice long comment from me on there and the guy's never replied or changed his code. But, uh, <laughs> so uh, hopefully people will read the comments before they copy and paste. But we do still see a lot of this sort of stuff. Man, it's still going on. And, and in the end, what did he need to do, really? But just look at what, what's be Don't concatenate it in. Well, you know, you know pass it's, it through a parameter. It's a, it's a funny thing because in this code, there's, there's actually one statement which selects the row out of the database to see if the email uh, exists. Right. And that is properly parameterized. So right. that is using a command object which adds a parameter yep. and doesn't just concatenate the string. And then like three lines later down, in, in fact, it's kind of funny because someone said to me, oh, look, it's not a SQL injection risk because what the guy does is he, you give it the email address in the text box, he goes to the database, he gets the record in a securely parameterized way mm -hmm. and if the rows in this data table, which eventually come back out, are greater than zero, yeah. well, then he updates it. And, and the guy said to me, the person commenting on it, said, oh, well, look, it's okay because the SQL injection risk, you know, the SQL injection string won't be an email address in the database. Right. But there's no... 
validation on that. So I could sign up with an email address, which is a SQL injection attack, and maybe I put an at at the end of it, so it passes the validation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I come back in and say, please reset the account for this SQL injection attack. Right. And then if the rows are greater than one, then, yeah, you know, it and, and the anyway. whole thing works. It's totally wow. exploitable. It, it's, it's crazy. Well, this, and you've already done the hard work of parameterizing the path. Uh, Why no, would you I just use it? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, and I'm putting my IT hat guy on in this situation because it's like, I can't fix this as the IT guy, right? This is the developer has to deal with this. Like, other, other than me simply not allowing dynamic SQL to be run from an application. Well, y y you know, yes and no. So I agree the developer has to fix it. Like, you shouldn't have this. There are, there are some controls we can do at the database layer. So, mm -hmm. for example, do we need to connect to the database with the SQL account that is SA? Uh, probably not, because right. if you connect under SA, when that risk manifests itself, now you're into everybody else's database, and you're into XP commands, so you can execute things on the, on the host, anything yeah. you want. So there's that. And you know, the other thing from the, uh, from the sort of IT pro level as well is, is this a good place to wrap a web application firewall around the application? Right. Now, this mm. doesn't mean that you're allowed to have SQL injection risks in your app, but it does mean that there's now a dedicated defensive layer that understands the patterns of SQL injection and XSS and all these sort of things. So, you know, there's another layer of defense there for some people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. Ah, uh, must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to announce a new phrase I found on Urban Dictionary. Uh-oh. Salting the pineapple. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to know. I really don't want to know. There's nothing in Urban Dictionary that makes me happy. There's only things that make me sad. I want to know. I'm looking for it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I completely made it up, so okay. look away. Thank goodness. Uh, actually, it's time to give away a D-Experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation, touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner... Believe it or not, is our friend Eric Zyko. Oh, wow, Eric. Congratulations. The random generator landed upon you. That's right. And Eric just won the DevExpress D Experience subscription. Big pile of awesome from them. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And Troy, it's your turn again. Oh, if you yeah. had $5,000 to spend on technology. You know, I didn't think about it in mind? advance, but I know immediately what I'd have. I would like one of those drones that follow you with a GoPro or equivalent. Oh, yeah. Because I, I want to go snowboarding, and I just want the thing to follow me because I'm you sick want... of the first-person point of view thing. Like, yeah. that's, that's so 2012. You want the lily. Lily. Yeah, yeah, lily the one you throw camera. up in it. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. yeah. I would have one of those. still vaporware, right? Still, yeah, we don't know, but it's... 500 bucks. Uh, yeah. It'll happen. Apparently, GoPro's working on one as well. Yeah. And, yeah. and they'd be I, the guys to do it. It was right? the Phantom guys are working with, with GoPro on one uh, to build, and it, and it has collision avoidance. 
Oh, they, well, that's they better They put than stuff Lily. all around it now. Yeah. They put sensors around it. They, so the demo they did was they had it hovering, and you walk towards it, and it moves away from you. That's great. So it's maintaining distance. I don't know that it's smart enough to go, you know, because the ultimate manifestation of this is the one that'll literally go through the door ahead of you oh, and yeah, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. if it was just outdoors, it's like, stay on me and don't hit anything. Yeah. So Lily works outdoors only. It doesn't have collision detection, and it's $500 ahead of time, and you have no... There's no, you know, it immediately charges your card and doesn't even ask for a shipping address. I think so, that'll mm. be really awesome for the for about the five minutes before the ski slopes ban them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. Because people keep crashing into drones following somebody else. So if right. you really want to recreate the opening to Sound of Music, <laughs> you can do that. Congratulations. Yeah, it's, uh, it's getting there, but sooner or later there's going to be a YouTube channel that's just somebody being followed by this drone all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's funny. Get, so I just want you to clarify something that you said before about SQL injection. The drone just flew over. <laughs> Literally, oh, did it really? <laughs> I kid you not. It was right behind you. <laughs> oh, wow. Sorry. Um, uh, just something to clarify about SQL injection. You said that even if you're parametizing your SQL, which for me has been the, the answer to SQL injection, even if you're using parameters, it can be spoofed if you're not doing validation on the data itself. Well, I mean, there's sort of multiple layers of defense. And and really, the the canonical defense for SQL injection is parameterization, which is that, you know, the application should treat the query itself different to the data that gets appended to it. Right, sure. Now, if you do that, it is... It is almost certainly going to going to all go well for you. The, the exceptions to that are things like if you're calling a stored procedure and you pass your data as parameters, which is what you'd normally do when you call a stored procedure, and then in your stored procedure you concatenate the string and you exec it oh, somewhere yeah. in there. Okay. Well then, I thought. Oh yeah. There, oh whoa! <laughs> the the drone just drone. literally <laughs> fell into the into the room. <laughs> no, it's ours now. Too bad. <laughs> you lost it. You lost it. Ah, that's that, a shame. That's a shame. Yeah, I got a few baseballs right. like that. <laughs> Batter up. Oh, man, I, I could have almost caught that. Yeah. And he, look, he's trying to fly it up back come out. Come on, come in. It's okay. We'll, we'll pick like, it up. Come on, give me my drone. <laughs> you want right. if I throw it? <laughs> watch where you're flying that thing, man. <laughs> so, uh, can, can yeah, I? It's DJI Phantom. Going back to the drone thing. Yeah, DJI yeah. Phantom has an SDK for... Uh, avoidance now. So it's some sensors that you strap to the unit, it plugs into the guidance system, the software is still in the mm. works, but you know, it's beginning. Yeah. It's going places, it'll yeah. be cool. Yeah, so I mean, in terms of parameterization, if, if you parameterize in just normal inline SQL, right. then it's, you know, that, that is, that is going to save you most of the time. Right. But you can still have the risk in, in uh, uh, stored procedures. You can still have the risk in ORMs as well, because ORMs, like Entity Framework, will still let you build up a SQL statement and mm-hmm. then just exec it against the database. Right. Yeah. So just using the ORM alone and then sort of ticking that box um, doesn't mean it's all going to be great. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, you've just got to think creatively about anytime I pass a parameter, I embed some SQL into it, and where does that get to? Yeah, and, and you know, this is also probably a pretty good use case for using things like automated dynamic analysis tools where you can point a tool at a URL and go, hey, go and, go and exploit this. And it will right. try all of these different automated mechanisms. And if I yeah. remember correctly, we tried that last time we were here as you were talking about it, and uh, I actually went and ran it against .NET Rocks, and we came up with a clean bill. Uh, I think so. I think you ran Havage, didn't you? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Havage, Havage is an interesting one. H A V I J, and uh, Havage has actually disappeared uh, for some oh, really? reason. Oh, yeah. The guys who made it disappeared. 
Um, if, if anyone does want to look at it, send me an email and I'll, I'll send you a link to a copy. But Havage is impactful because it's a little GUI tool. And I did a, yeah. a video with my three-year-old a few years ago. I taught him how to use SQL injection uh -huh. just to sort of make the point that this is how easy it is. Yeah. But there are tools like SQL Map which is a very popular Python-based tool. Uh, so it's also available for free. It does amazing things with extracting data from the system. Yeah. But very, very dedicated for SQL injection and intended to get data out. There are a lot of dynamic uh, analysis tools, things like NetSparker or Acunetics, which can do sort of broad app-wide security reviews where you give it a URL and it goes, you've got SQL injection here, cross-site scripting there, and right. you know, all sorts of other risks. What tool is that? So the, the one I like is uh, NetSparker. NetSparker is great. Yeah. Uh, Acunetics uh, is another one that's very popular. How do you spell that? I think it's A-C-C-U-N-E-T-I-X. Okay. So those ones are quite neat. Um, but look, I like the, the idea of getting the tool to do the work. Right. And in fact, someone asked me the question uh, in this workshop. They said, yeah, look, should you go through and, and literally test every input in every resource of, of the web app for, for these sorts of risks? Because that sounds like a lot of hard work. And he was right, it's a lot of hard work, but it's a repeatable <laughs> pattern. It's something that you can just get the software to do for you. Yeah, the tools guess, will guess do it. what's harder work, yeah. trying to recover from an attack. That's yeah. what's harder. Yes, well, that, and see, so this is the thing. You know, are we thinking about this in advance, or is it like, okay, now we've been attacked, and oh, yeah, maybe now we should do something. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Well, and in the end, these are the tools that the hackers are going to use anyway. I mean, how do they yeah. find your vulnerability in the first place? And we know that they use them because you go online and you have a look at the tutorials of how to use them. And one of the interesting things, this, this is a lot of what uh, my talks at NDC are about, is, is looking at the kids that are using these tools. So you go and watch YouTube videos that talk you through how to use these tools. You go, man, that, that guy, his voice hasn't broken yet. <laughs> that, <laughs> There's that, a 12-year-old teaching me how to use this tool. I've got, uh, in fact, in my talk today, I've got a clip where there's a kid teaching you how to see everyone who's currently connected to Google. Right. And it, All right, I don't yeah. know if you guys know how to do this, but if you run uh, TraceRT, Google.com, it will tell you everyone that is connected to Google at the moment what the connection speeds are. Oh, my God. Apparently, there is a video on YouTube. In fact, it's an enormously popular video. It's got millions of views because it's, it's kind of so cool. Right. There's this little kid <laughs> talking you through it. <laughs> and this is the funny thing. It, these tools are so easy to use and they're so broadly accessible and, and a lot of them are free that kids jump on board. Sure, why not? So should you be afraid of your children in your own house, basically, uh, snooping you? Now, that is a good question. Should you be afraid of your own children? Uh, I think that you should be very intrigued by your own children. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I reckon it's really good fun with, with kids, actually. It's really yeah. good fun seeing the way kids like to sort of deconstruct things and pull things apart. There, there was a kid last year who hit the news because he, he hacked the Xbox. Five-year-old kid. Right. It's, it's I heard a about great that. video. So what the, what the kid yeah. has done <laughs> is he, he wants to play, I don't know, he wants to play Call of Duty or something like this. And he, right. he, he can't get in there because of parental controls. So, so he's just fat-fingered the controller, just pressed random buttons until it has actually circumvented the parental controls. <laughs> and the kid's on the news. He's now on the Microsoft Security Researchers page. The kid got a bug bounty. Five-year-old kid. Now, for me, as a father, if my son got a bug bounty, I would just be so proud. And Absolutely. <laughs> and then he's annoyed he got the bug bounty because they fixed the bug and he can't play Call of Duty anymore. Uh, well, he, he's got to up his game. He's got to find something new. <laughs> a bug bounty is what Microsoft pays if you discover a bug, right? Yeah, so bug or bounties, whatever. In, in general, a lot of companies now paying them as, as sort of an ethical way of getting people to disclose their you know, vulnerabilities and mm -hmm. things and, and be rewarded for it rather than going out and exploiting it, which is right, sure. generally a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good idea. All right, so the classic things that we talk about every time we talk to you, we talk about SQL injection, we talk about cross-site scripting, 
Uh, and we talk about Wi-Fi security. And that's, that's the big scary one. And have there been any more uh, developments in uh, Wi-Fi security that we should know about since last year? Yeah, look, it's an interesting thing. I think there has been progress in terms of defences against the risks that transport layer security poses. So, mm -hmm. you know, what do we mean by that? So, we're worried about Wi-Fi security a lot of the time in, in terms of, of us with developer hats on, um, in that people can get in the middle of the connection. You know, now, what does that mean? Well, you get in the middle of the connection, you can now uh, read unencrypted traffic, yes. modify any unencrypted traffic, so integrity risk. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, if you go to a website and they load their login page over HTTP, then a man in the middle could change it. And maybe they put a keylogger in there, for example, JavaScript keylogger. Uh, and, of course, there's the whole thing about authenticity. So, who do, you, do you actually know who you're connecting to if there's no transport layer uh, security? Right. So, that, you know, some of the things that we're getting as developers are things like um, HTTP strict transport security, right. HSTS. So, we can now say that when someone loads our page securely just once, set this strict transport security header, which says for the next year, for example, the browser may not make a request to this domain over HTTP. Now, that's great okay. because if you can load the site securely once. Uh, so, for example, if you go uh, to, to my website we mentioned earlier, haveibeenpwned.com, right. you type haveibeenpwned.com into the browser. The browser defaults to HTTP. It makes an insecure request. Mm -hmm. And then the website gets that and it says, no, I want you to be secure. It sends back a 301 permanent redirect. Then the browser goes back and requests the site securely, and the site responds and says, now never, ever, ever request me insecurely again. Mm -hmm. And mm. that's great if you have Chrome or Firefox. Yeah. Wasn't so great with IE. IE 11 is going to get HSTS support, so that's, that's coming, but it, it hasn't had it. It's been a bit slow. So just to recap, HSTS basically prevents you from sending unencrypted traffic to any website. Once you get the HSTS header. Now, the question is, and, and this is where it gets kind of interesting. So, the question is, how do you actually get that HSTS header? Because you've got to be able to make one secure request in the first place. Yeah, one insecure request. Now, there is actually an answer for that, and it is HSTS preloading. Uh, so, there is a, a website, hstspreload.appspot.com, where you can go and submit your website to be preloaded into the browser. And what that means is that if your website is preloaded, say into Chrome or into Firefox, when it ships, it is already preloaded with a list of websites that can only be requested securely. So, so my, my first reaction is, what about all these apps that I have on my iPhone that are making these HTTP requests? They're not doing that. Yeah, so this is the thing. So HSTS is a, is a control implemented by the browser. So the browser has to understand what HSTS is and it has to adhere to right. it. Right, and if you've got an app making web API calls to a non-encrypted entity... Well, you know, the, so the thing with your, with your rich client apps is that as a developer, when you build the rich client app, then just hard code in HTTPS. You know, that a lot of the risk that this is solving, HSTS is solving, is that browsers, when you type in a URL, are going to default to HTTP. Now, that's a different risk in the rich mobile app sort of space because it is already hard-coded with the URIs that it's going to be talking to. That's right, to. yeah. So, so you may be... I mean, how, how do I know? Like, how do I know that WhatsApp <laughs> or Skype is going to be securely sending my messages between my, my wife and I? So, so that is a very good question. And the answer is, is that if you're a consumer, or even if you're URI sitting here and we look at the app as it runs on the phone, we've got no idea. Right. 
Absolutely no idea. And this is one of the problems because we don't have the same visibility in mobile space as what we do in the browser. Yeah. However, you or I know how to use Fiddler. So right. we could use Fiddler from Telerik, set it up as an HTTP proxy, and then set the mobile phone to actually talk to the API. I've got a Pluralsight course on this, okay. uh, Hack Your API First. And it takes a couple of minutes to start proxying your mobile traffic through Fiddler, and then you see all the requests from the mobile app oh, that's great. in Fiddler, just like you would if you were proxying on your, on your host machine. Wow, that's really beautiful. And then you see all the things that don't communicate securely. So I did a blog post a few weeks ago, and I, I picked a site, and I picked a fast food site, Nando's Chicken. Uh, and I can talk about them because <laughs> they've fixed it now. But wh what they were doing, and it, look, it wasn't sort of catastrophic. It was pretty common. Yeah. It was kind of funny because you'd go to Nando's Chicken and you'd load the menu. And the menu would come back over HTTPS. So all your protein and everything else, HTTPS, sure, yeah, yeah. which is fantastic. And then you logged in and it went over HTTP. So your oh. credentials... It's That's like, a little backwards. You have prioritized like fat content of chicken <laughs> over, <laughs> over my credentials. Yeah. And yeah. you have no idea when you use the mobile app, but this is the sort of stuff that happens behind the scenes. So Richard, speaking of uh, fast food restaurants, tell the story that you heard from Scott Hanselman that you did on Hansel Minutes with Hansel Minutia, the oh, latest right. episode. You know, we had all this, we had this, we do a lot, it's like 16th Hansel Minutia, we did a ton of them, right? Yeah, yeah, We yeah. were going to talk about the Google I.O. keynote, had this plan, but he went to, to Subway before the show. And Subway Sandwich Shop. Yeah, the Subway Sandwich Shop. Which, by the way, is Mer Meriden, Connecticut. That's yeah, where the world Meriden, headquarters is. Uh, and this is his regular Milf stop, knows the guys well. Milford, you know, sorry. That whole thing. Uh, but he, and he logged on, because he was there for a while. And uh, over their Wi-Fi, and start seeing ads pop up, and thinks he's got to exploit on his machine, some kind of malware. Right. Search checks the whole machine over, can't figure it out. Yeah. And finally, comes to the realization it's hacked firmware on the guy's access point. Nice, right? Uh, and of course, there's a rash of this going on. Tries to explain to the subway guy what's going on. Who just wants to make a sandwich I'm and just, go home? And, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Wi-Fi is not this guy's priority. Anyway, I mean, upset Scott enough that it completely derailed the handsome initiative. That's yeah. all we talked about. Yeah. For 40 minutes. And did he actually get to flash the guy's thing? Or no, we didn't get that far. And, rea and, and the reality really is the exploit is in the, is part of the hardware of that. 15-year-old access oh, point. Oh, so he needs to get a new access point. He needs to get a new access yeah. point. And he needs to get a good one, which is yeah. probably a couple hundred dollars. And yeah, that yeah. is, again, not a priority for a subway guy. Right. So. Now, right here at NDC, there's a un-password-protected Wi-Fi point. Does that mean that nothing is encrypted if there's no password? Well, you know, first of all, on, on the Scott story, all I heard was Scott's going to random subways and connecting to Wi-Fi without a VPN. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, mate. <laughs> so there's that. Problem one. Uh, problem one. But that, that does lead us into, into your question, Carl, in terms of, yes, we are connecting without, uh, without credentials, without encryption. And this is the reason why I, I'm showing the guys. I'm using a uh, Freedom VPN. So this is a great VPN service. So I'm encrypting my traffic from my device. Freedom VPN? It's called Freedome. So Freedome is made by a company called F-Secure. They're a Finnish F security -E -E company. F-R-E-E-D-O-M-E. Correct. And I run this, so I run it on all my things. So it runs on my Windows PC, runs on my uh, iPhone, it runs on my iPad. They have Android versions as well. There are other VPN products as well. But I like this one because uh, you know, one of the things about F-Secure, this is a, um, a Finnish company, apparently Finland is the least corrupt country in the world. Least corrupt. Least corrupt, which is, you wow. know, I don't know if you're going to print that on your money, but no, it's, no. it's a nice claim. You know, it's the fish. 
<laughs> Maybe it's the fish. <laughs> but the, yeah, why that's important in terms of VPNs is that when you use a VPN in a place like we're at at the moment, you get encryption between your device and whatever their exit node is. So nobody right. else in here, if NDC wanted to man in the middle of our traffic, if the subway wanted to inject ads, either intentionally or not, they can't because your traffic is encrypted. Mm but you then delegate responsibility for that traffic to the VPN provider. Right. So I'm effectively saying, okay, F-Secure, you, you now have my traffic. Now, they won't be able to do anything with, with good HTTPS traffic anyway, but of course a lot of it isn't. But it's, it's just nice to use something that, uh, that you get confidence in terms of security. So tell me what, the, what is required if you're using this app. Do you have to route all of your traffic through something that is decrypting it on the other side? Can you, can you just use it and you're, is it like a panacea? What exactly well, does it do? It, it, it is transparent insofar. If you wanted to use something like Freedom right now, you'd go and you'd download the app. I think there's a free trial for about a week as well. Otherwise, you can buy some credits. Mm -hmm. And it, it just works. So you install the app on your device and all of your, basically any traffic going through your connection will automatically be encrypted by the VPN. So where do you, you install it on my laptop? I install it on my, my phone. Yep. And... Uh, so it encrypts, but what's decrypting it? How does it... So their exit node is, is decrypting it. So you're getting encryption from your device through the wires to whatever exit node you're on. And you can choose where you want to exit from. So I'm exiting from Sweden because that's the closest spot to here. I could choose to exit from somewhere like Amsterdam, I'm still Melbourne. not following. Do, how do, okay. you know, if, you, if you put this on and then you go to a website, yep. where, what's the fault... Follow me the route of traffic. You know. Okay, so when we run the VPN, the VPN is creating an encrypted connection between the device and the VPN exit node. The so the exit node. So the exit node is what the VPN provider gives you as a, as a basically as a point where your traffic can go through. Okay, and from there it goes to whatever website. And you're from there going it's to. just it's just whatever okay. protocol that the, the traffic was running over. So if it was I HTTP. See. It's going out of their exit node in the clear. If it's HTTPS, it's going out of their exit node and they can't actually see what the content is. I see. Is. And so does it slow you down a little bit? Well, that's a good question. So I was running this a few weeks ago in Amsterdam and, and someone said, uh, you know, what's the speed like? So I ran one of these little speed tests and I was getting like 40 megabits down and 40 up or, or something. It's like that is a I'm happy. Yeah. That is twice as fast as I get on my wide connection yeah, at home. Yeah, I'm happy sure. with that. Wow. So fast enough that you don't even notice. Correct. Now, a lot of that depends on your proximity to the exit node as well. So, you know, we're mm. here in, in uh, Oslo, and I'm connecting through the Stockholm exit node. So all my traffic has got to go from here through to Stockholm and then to wherever the actual website is. And you can is. change that with a setting, right? You can change it. So you go oh, that's in. that's so cool. And we've got all of these different countries and locations, and we just choose the one we want to go through. Now, of course, that also gets you an IP in that location as well, because as far as the website's concerned, your connection is coming out via that location. Right. Free node. Free dome. Free dome. Free dome. Free dome from F-Secure. Yeah, other than it absolutely insists on telling me everything about it in Norwegian, yeah, doesn't matter well, what my language settings that, are. That is probably not their fault. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you're, you're on a Norwegian uh, IP right now, right? Right. Now, one of the other things I like about free... So, you know, why would it presume, because I'm on a Norwegian IP, that now I manually went in and edited the, the URL to say, no, English, yeah, US. Right. So it, it's not looking at your user agent language. It is not. Yeah, and I went back and double-checked my user agent, because yep. I actually know enough to know. It's like, yeah, I yeah, am yeah. sending you the correct flipping language. Correct, correct. But it's not listening. One that really annoyed you, didn't it? it uh, you know what? <laughs> it's been happening... The whole time I've been here on every yeah. browser. It's, look, well, it's been maybe, happening to maybe me. Maybe the though. problem is. Yeah. Maybe it's, <laughs> I'm almost wondering if it's Win10's <laughs> iNet stack. 
is ah, oh, you're running up. Win- your Windows 10. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it, a lot of it is looking at IP, and it's not looking at the language in the request header. Well, I think one of the pro- and one of the problems is that's the default language, so you're just presuming mm. defaults. Yeah, it's not yeah. that I've actually intentionally set it up, but you know. One of the things I do like about Freedom is it doesn't ask any personal information or to set the VPN up. Nice. If, even if you buy a subscription, it's just like, hey man, pay for it, and then here's a number put the number in. So We're not actually trying to keep track of who you they're are. They're not trying to track you. They are the least corrupt country. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a heck of a thing to claim. So, you know, going back to the point about uh, pineapples and Wi-Fi's and all that sort of stuff as well, you know, this is one of the neat things that helps you protect against that. You know, right. And it, it goes back to Bruce's talk as well, where encryption is a lot of the answer. If we can get securely encrypted communications over these really at-risk network segments, which include things like conference uh, floors, right. th- then that is a really good thing. Yeah. Don't count on other people to secure this stuff properly for you. Be secure on all your endpoints. Yeah, pretty much. And it's, uh, look, if, if we can do both. So if we as developers can HTTPS our things and do HSTS and all that sort of stuff, right. and we can get people running VPNs to encrypt their connection, then between those two things, we're, we're starting to get into really good shape. Yeah. But that, that's enough. That will actually... Uh, protect us in either end. Well, as far as we know. <laughs> <laughs> Until the next thing. We thought things were pretty good a couple of years ago, too. Yeah, well, everybody keeps getting more sophisticated and doing more with it, so it is challenging. So I just installed Freedom, and it took literally just that amount of time. Nice, you're up and running. Yeah, I'm up and running. And uh, it says signed by not signed. I guess that's just the app itself is not signed. Yeah, that is interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Get it get it from the official channel and No, I got you it. You know, there's yeah. nine tenths of the problem solved. Yeah. I, I did get the right one. All yeah. right. F secure freedom. So, dude, what's next for you? You got some more talks to go? Yeah, so I've just done uh, I've just done two days of workshops. I did a user group talk last night. You guys I'm doing a talk this afternoon. We're doing a panel tomorrow as well, right? Yes, we yes, are. Yes, we are, yeah. The panel will be fun, and then I'm doing another talk on Friday, and then I'm going, uh, going to Amsterdam doing some more workshops. So, yeah, work in, work so, in Europe for a while. Work in Europe, and um, I'm then going to escape the cold summer here and get back to our nice warm Aussie winter. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Well, and rumor is that NDC's coming to Australia, so I yeah, guess we're going to see that? you there. And nah, the rumor is, is that we're coming to Australia. Yeah. We're going to try. We're anyway. going to try. Yeah, Figure hey, this will be awesome. This will be such a good trip. I'm be really looking fun. forward to that. And if it happens, it'll probably be February, but we don't really know yet. We're yeah. still in the talking about it. Still stage, in the discussion. Troy, thank you. I mean, uh, that's a beautiful little gem of a, of a wonderful app right there that... Uh, Helps you protect yourself. Uh, we always learn something talking to you. Awesome. And I, I, I was less afraid today. Nice. So. Uh, we'll try harder next time. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Troy. Thanks, fellas. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. 
Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.